Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unchained, your no-hype resource for all things crypto. I'm your host, Laura Shin, a journalist with over two decades of experience. I started covering crypto five years ago, and as a senior editor at Forbes, was the first mainstream media reporter to cover cryptocurrency full-time. Subscribe to Unchained on YouTube, where you can watch videos of me and my guests. Go to youtube.com slash C slash Unchained Podcast and subscribe today. Building a web application to sell products or services? Integrate with Square's robust and secure APIs to easily take payments. Learn more at square.com slash go slash unchained. The crypto.com app lets you buy, earn, and spend crypto all in one place. Earn up to 8.5% interest on your Bitcoin and 14% interest on your stable coins paid weekly. Download the crypto.com app and get $25 with the code Laura. The link is in the description. Today's guest is Antonio Giuliano, founder of DYDX, and Ellie Ben-Sassen, co-founder, president, and chairman of the board at Starkware. Welcome, Antonio and Ellie. Hey, Thank you. thanks for having us. Excited to be here. Thanks for Antonio, you and Ellie partnered to launch Cross-Margined Perpetuals, which went live at the end of February. Explain to us what Cross-Margined Perpetuals are, why you chose that as your project to scale, and why you chose Starkware. Yes, absolutely. So perpetuals are a type of synthetic product that's really popular in the crypto space. So not a lot of people know this, but perpetuals by volume are the most popular uh, type of trading instruments on all of crypto. Basically, the volume for perpetuals is more than all of the volume for all of the other products, um, including just base spot trading on crypto combined. So it's a really big market, but kind of I think we're one of the first in DeFi to really get into this market. So we think it's going to be really big. Um, the reason why we're so excited about it long term is normally in kind of the traditional financial markets, you see the derivatives or synthetics volume being about 5 to 10x higher than kind of the base uh, spot volume. One interesting thing that happened in crypto just in the past year is for the first time, the derivatives volume on crypto surpassed, like I said, all of the other volume in crypto combined. And it's well on its way to kind of reaching, we think, that 5 to 10x the volume mark of the entire rest of the market combined. So it's a huge market. We're really excited about it. Um, and the, the main reason, yeah, and that's the main reason that we're, we're excited about launching this product. Um, more specifically, what perpetuals are is, like I said, they're a type of synthetic product. All synthetic means is that when you're trading these types of products, the actual currencies that you're trading don't actually exist in the contract. So for example, if you're trading a Bitcoin perpetual, there's no actual Bitcoin being custodied and there's no actual Bitcoin under the hood. We just kind of come up with this synthetic contract and it tracks the price of Bitcoin. And the reason these are so popular is that they can be traded with leverage. Leverage basically just means that you can multiply your gains and your losses and trade as if you had a lot more capital. So it's much more capital efficient to trade on these types of products. And that's why they're so popular. All cross margin means is... It's a bit of a technical term, but it basically means that you can have one account or one pool of collateral that collateralizes any different type of market that you might want to trade on. 
So as compared to isolated margin, which is what we had on our layer one or kind of our original product, that means that for every different type of product that you want to trade, um, so say you want to trade both an Ethereum perpetual and a Bitcoin perpetual, you have to put down collateral into two separate accounts. So it's not nearly as capital efficient. Um, whereas because of the scalability that Starkware is now able to provide, um, we're really able to offer cross-margining. And, and that's a really important product feature that we're excited to launch to our users. Yeah, that seems like a no-brainer if that technology enables you to do the cross-margin, because I could imagine as a user, it would be very frustrating if you wanted to trade multiple assets and had to collateralize each. And so why did you choose Starkware? Yeah, absolutely. So we did a lot of research on this um, about six months ago, uh, right before we started working with Starkware. Kind of the main things we were uh, considering were obviously Starkware and kind of by extension, zero-knowledge rollups. And and Ellie can talk a lot more about that. Um, We also considered optimistic rollups and and specifically optimism. And then the third kind of thing we also considered was other layer one blockchains. So things like Solana or Nier. And the reason we chose Starkware was for a couple of different reasons. So first of all, the level of scalability that they're able to provide is really, really high. Um, so I won't touch on this too much because obviously Ellie can uh, dive a lot more into it than I can. Um, but basically, the way it works is you take just an arbitrarily long list of, in our case, trades. And through zero-knowledge proofs um, or Stark proofs, you can basically transform them down into a constant-sized data object. And then, so it basically doesn't matter how many trades you have. You just transform it into this constant-sized thing, put that on the blockchain, and that's where all the scalability comes from. So. The main uh, requisite thing that we're obviously looking for is a really high level of scalability. And this isn't exactly rocket science, but right now, uh, if for anybody that's used DeFi, just the fees and the gas fees on Ethereum specifically are obscenely high. Um, and currently, it's costing about 100 to sometimes up to literally $1,000 per trade in gas fees uh, to execute a trade on layer one on Ethereum. Oh. And this was just obviously something that we had to solve as soon as possible. And kind of the, the second main point w- was exactly that, the as soon as possible. Um, and Starkware already has, is, is kind of one of the very few scaling technologies that already had a really good history of uh, building quality products in production. We're not the first exchange or decentralized exchange to launch with Starkware. Um, they're also launched with uh, another decentralized exchange called Diversify, and they've been running uh, you know, successfully in production at that point. Whereas a lot of these other kind of like optimistic rollups and, and other L1s are very much unproven. So it was really important to us. And it was a really big selling point that it was already live. It was already working in production. Uh, we solved all the, all the architecture problems and we knew how to do it. And kind of the last, in, which is kind of like the last point, which is a bit more subtle, um, is something called like withdrawal times. Um, so for anybody that's kind of familiar with optimistic rollups, one of the drawbacks is that uh, you actually can't withdraw from optimistic rollups for, you know, it depends on the configuration, but oftentimes like up to a week. Whereas for Starkware with their Stark blocks, um, you have basically instant finality once the block is mined on layer one. And that's really important because, you know, for us, like who's going to use an exchange where you can't actually withdraw for a week? Yes, there are certainly ways to get around this by kind of, you can have like uh, liquidity providers front fast withdrawals which we're actually also doing on Starkware. Um, so that means you can have instant, you don't even need to wait for the, the Stark batches to be conv- uh, confirmed to the blockchain to get withdrawals. Um, but if you're thinking about becoming a liquidity provider, and, and happy to talk more about this in detail, but the thing that you need to think about is like what the withdrawal period is, because suppose you're a fast withdrawal provider for optimism or you know, by extension, any optimistic rollup protocol, 
you basically have to have enough capital to cover like an entire week's worth of withdrawals for the system, which even for us as kind of like, you know, a relatively smaller exchange compared to centralized exchanges is like millions and millions and millions of dollars to the point where it was just like totally financially unfeasible. Um, whereas for us, because the, the Starkware blocks are mined roughly like once every hour or so, um, we only need to have like a, a smaller amount of capital to, to front withdrawals in the system. And then the last thing I'll say is compared with uh, just kind of other layer one chains, uh, Starkware and the system we're building on top of Starkware settles back on Ethereum. So it has basically exactly the same security properties, exactly the same decentralization properties as Ethereum does, which is really important to us. And even more important, it works with all the Ethereum wallets. And this is just absolutely critical from a user experience perspective. Um, if you're a decentralized app and you want to get users, you have to support the wallets that people are using. Um, and because we're just settling back on Ethereum, we can use exactly the same wallets that all of our users are used to using um, and just continue to provide what we think is a really top-class product experience um, on DeFi to them. And Ellie, so I know Antonio described briefly how um, the Starkware solution works, but why don't you dive a little deeper into uh, these ZK rollups and also maybe contrast it with optimistic rollups, which you mentioned, and that is another popular uh, layer two solution that a lot of DeFi projects are trying out. Right. So the, the basic um, um, problem that all rollups try to solve is the problem of this limited resource, which is the, uh, you know, block uh, or the block space on, on a blockchain. In the case of Ethereum, you only have 12 and a half million uh, gas to allocate among all the competing um, transactions every in every block, uh, every 15 seconds or so. And because there's a lot of demand these days for, for this resource, there's the, you know, prices are shooting up. Okay. So the way that uh, rollups work or all scalability solutions, L2 scalability solutions work is that they sort of take a lot of this computation and data and everything that costs so much and takes it off chain. And, um, so you, it's, it's a little bit like an iceberg where you put the tip, um, on L1, which is Ethereum and, and you use Ethereum to sort of verify or do the minimal kind of stuff. That needs to be done to make sure everything's safe, and then all the the rest uh, is is taken off chain. So, uh, like an iceberg, where you only see on chain the tip. Okay, now this is the idea of of all L two scalability solutions that we're aware of. Now rollups um, are a particular version of of scalability solutions that have added security. It's sort of a trade off. What they say is we need all of the information for each and every user to know exactly. Uh, the state of her account at any given point in time. We need that information, that raw data to appear constantly on L1, right? We don't want uh, any of this data to sit with some data availability solution, um, which is another option. So, so this is a trade-off. You get uh, the security of L1 for your data. The downside is that there's a linear amount of, uh, basically more transactions means more data on L1, but but it's a trade-off. Um, we at Starkware support both options of this data availability um, situation. So um, DYDX chose to go with the roll-up mode, which means that all of the data sits on L1. Uh, Diversify, for instance, chose to work with offloading uh, the data to a data availability committee um, that is also very secure and operates in a different way. 
And so, so these are two types of trade-offs. There's even a third type where you can let the users decide whether they want to pay extra for having their data on chain or whether they're willing to, they want to save costs, but, but, uh, you know, rely on this, uh, L2 data solution. We call this a volition. And we're also going to support that with some of our customers. In any case, that's what rollups allow you. Now, within rollups, there are two main ways to deal with uh, security. Uh, one branch is called validity proofs, which Starkware and Starks are uh, uh, one of these uh, uh, ways, which basically means whenever you move the state, whenever you change this tip of the iceberg to something new, because you're updating the state of your system, it must be accompanied by a cryptographic proof. In our case, those are Starks that are very lean and short and, and, and cheap to verify, exponentially uh, cheaper than the amount of computation that is, uh, you know, that leads to this change uh, on, on chain. And you cannot move the state without a validity proof. And this ensures that you will never have uh, any movement to a state that is not valid and does not have integrity. Okay, so this is one way to deal with it. And that's these validity proofs and the cryptographic assurances they give allow you to have the instant finality that Antonio was talking about and that uh, the DYDX customers are going to benefit from. The other kind of solutions are game-theoretic, fraud-proof-based solutions, um, optimistic rollups, which say something like this. Anyone can move the state of the system to any new state, right, including to a fraudulent uh, or invalid state. And then there's going to be a period uh, during which, uh, you know, parties uh, can, can sort of raise a flag and there's going to be some um, process by which you sort of sort out whether the state of the system is invalid or is valid. And there's a certain game going on that has a bunch of interactions between two parties. One is saying, no, this was fraudulent. The other party saying, no, this was good. And you have to wait a little bit and allow this thing to sort of uh, peter out. And this is what causes this capital inefficiency that comes from, you know, funds need to be locked for a long enough time in order to make sure that no one raises a flag. And if a flag is raised, uh, you know, to sort out what happened. So those are the optimistic rollups. So just to summarize again, scalability solutions take a lot of uh, the, the load of computation off-chain. Um, rollups mean that all the data, the raw data, not the computation and not the storage, still appears on L1 for added security, but there's a trade-off. You pay a little bit more. Um, and then within the two families of rollups, you have uh, validity proofs like uh, Starks, that allow you instant finality, and you have optimistic rollups that come with this finality period of roughly a week or so uh, till you can remove your funds off. As far as I understand, just from the description, it seems kind of obvious that it's better to have the instant finality. And yet there are teams that are choosing optimistic rollups. As far as I understand, is that simply because the, the technology is maybe easier to implement now, like it's further along? Is that what the case is? I don't think that's the case. I think that, uh, I think that our technology is further along. You know, we have more projects that are launched or you know, ready to be launched with, with our technology. It's a, okay, one thing that is um, offered by um, some optimistic rollups Project is to say that, um, or, or you know, to, to describe it this way: you basically take all of your existing Solidity code, 
you press a button and it automatically works just as previously. Now, I'm not entirely sure that actually is the case, but this is a very tempting proposition that causes a lot of projects to say, okay, we want to press that button and have it automatically uh, working. So I think a lot of projects are definitely uh, saying we want to wait to see that happen. Now, it hasn't happened yet for any meaningful project. Uh, you know, we, we, we have to wait and see. So, so I think they're saying we are willing to take the, you know, bite the bullet of the uh, capital inefficiency and the, uh, you know, the, the extra sort of security issues with, with having these fraud proofs, you know, the ability to attack them and delay the system and whatnot, because we are tempted by this, um, you know, proposition that we won't have to modify our code significantly. Uh, you know, I'm biased, of course, but I think uh, Antonio and DYDX uh, made the right choice of going with a, a better solution in terms of capital efficiency. You know, we started working with them roughly six months ago, and it's you know already on mainnet. So I think this sort of you know practically shows that this is, I think, a better route, and we hope other teams are going to you know go down this route as well. Yeah, definitely. When I realized the timeline timeline on that, I did think that that was pretty quick. How you guys roll this out. And uh, before I forget, because I've now forgot multiple times, I wanted to mention that Diversify, who we've mentioned a few times, is a previous sponsor of my shows. Um, and so then in terms of scalability, how many transactions per second are you now able to process versus you know what it was before? So um, I, I prefer to talk about things that we actually demonstrated live on, on mainnet rather than um, you know various... Uh, I mean, there are a lot of uh, numbers floating out there for things that theoretically could be done or, you know, on. So on mainnet, we, um, for a Reddit bake-off, we demonstrated a single proof that um, settled uh, 300,000 transactions. And um, it was in roll-up mode, meaning that all the data was on-chain. And the effective TPS for this, and this was on mainnet Ethereum. This was a few months ago before we were uh, working with uh, DYDX. This was a TPS of 3,000. With Diversify, uh, we, you know, we have demonstrated the ability to reach trades of uh, 9,000 TPS. And, um, and uh, for payments, we can go to 18,000 uh, TPS. With uh, DYDX, uh, you know, the system is just now being ramped up. And we'll, we'll be very proud to announce uh, the... Uh, you know, effective rates that we get once we once we actually demonstrated them. But, uh, you know, we can go, uh, we can support, uh, well, I mean, you know, we, we saw this tweet that there are more than 80,000 people waiting to join the, um, you know, the DYDX system once it launches. So, of course, this causes, you know, we're, we're up for the task, but it sort of causes you some, you know, some sort of, uh, you know, some angst, uh, you know, hoping that everything will function properly, but we will report uh, in, in in a small number of weeks the actual numbers that, that you'll see on mainnet uh, live. <laughs> I can just see it now. I'm going to have to like run an update and be like, by the way, they, you know, touted all these numbers and it, no, I'm just kidding. All right. Um, so for the uh, Perpetuals products, some of the features are that traders can now trade with zero gas costs. And so how are you making that possible is just, is um, DYDX just paying for them because it's like a, such a small amount compared to what it was before? 
Pretty much, yeah. Um, obviously, because it's a roll-up and sells on layer one Ethereum, there still are gas costs, and, and we're basically paying for like every time a Stark batch, it's called, or like a Stark block, um, is committed to mainnet, uh, we're paying for that. But it's really not that much, and that's kind of where all the scalability features um, that Ellie was talking about just really come into play, where it's just costing us, you know, however many X less than it was before. Um, it's gotten kind of get down to the point where we're really able to charge fees that are much more in line with what traders are used to paying on centralized exchanges. Um, so even like fees on, on centralized exchanges in crypto are like fairly high, right? Like they're kind of like even like 20 bips is like a lot higher. Um, and that's kind of what you'll experience on like an FTX or a Binance than what you'll see in traditional finance. So that's like the, the revenue that you make in fees is more than enough uh, to cover in, in this new case, like what we would have to pay on gas. So. Or, like I said, just aiming to charge fees that are really in line uh, with what other uh, exchanges charge, and, and no longer will the fees have to be deterministic or kind of dynamic based off the current gas price environments on Ethereum. Very interesting. And so, in working together, I mean, like I said, I, it is impressive that you managed to roll this out in six months. But I'm still wondering, you know, everyone in DeFi in particular is looking at different scaling solutions that is really deemed to be probably the main issue right now. So I was wondering what lessons you guys you feel you learned in working together, um, especially for DeFi in general or other DeFi protocols that are interested in scaling. Yeah, maybe I can start. Um, I think the first thing is kind of what Ellie touched on before, um, which is that, for, for my opinion, for a good technical team, it actually doesn't really matter that much what language your smart contracts are written in. Um, like, we're happy to port our smart contracts to, like, Rust or Solidity or, you know, soon to come out, like, Cairo, which is Starkware's uh, new programming language that they're coming out with um, for their Stark rollups, which Ellie can talk a lot more about. Um, so I think the first lesson was that it's, it's really not that big of a deal if you're a good technical team um, to move to a new uh, coding language. And I think people just put uh, like way too much weight on that um, in terms of making things backwards compatible. Yeah, I'd say that maybe one like second learning that we had is that basically for, for the like current contracts that we have, Starkware wrote them. Um, like they wrote them in kind of their, uh, their own Cairo language. Uh, and one of the things that they're working on, which I'm really excited about, is what I just mentioned before, is their Cairo programming language, which will allow third-party developers um, to come in and write their own contracts. So I think that'll even be like a really big step up um, from the, the build process that we had. Because of course, whenever two different companies are working together, it's just a little bit harder to have like coordination across the two teams. Like for example, like Starcore was writing all the contracts and we gave them like pretty detailed specs. But of course, there's like some back and forth on various edge cases for those contracts and just making sure be able to have all the kinks ironed out and have it exactly the way we want. Um, if like later we're able to come out and our developers are able to just code in Cairo directly and have that run directly through Starkware, like I promise you, we could get the build times down like to like three or four months um, or like even less. Um, so, so that's something I'm excited about uh, looking forward into the future as well. Yeah. So uh, on, on our part, the first thing I just want to say is, uh, you know, it was, it, it was and still is such a pleasure working with uh, such a professional team uh, as the counterparties on, on this. It's like, uh, you know, we, so we learned a lot about, uh, first of all, the, the, the business and the business logic that is needed in these cases. And this, of course, uh, helped us and will help uh, future customers and, and, and players that, that want to uh, build, uh, you know, on top of this and, and, and uh, you know, extend the capabilities of, uh, 
Starks and, and Cairo. The second thing that was really important for us here was, Antonio mentioned this, uh, Cairo is a, a programming language which allows you to express in, in, in a way the programmers, uh, you know, express themselves any computation and any business logic that you want to scale. And, and I want to emphasize this because probably not all of your, your listeners are aware that when you come to ZKP technologies, um, one of the hardest parts is taking the computation, the high level computation that you have in mind, and then converting it to these very intricate mathematical objects that are really, really hard to deal with various things like polynomials or finite fields and so on. And, and what Cairo achieves is, is a very clean abstraction of all of that. And it sort of allows you to just uh, write your business logic in a very clean way. And this uh, um, partnership was for us yet another, you know, test case for the agility and the feature velocity of Cairo. And of course, along the way, we, we were constantly improving it and the whole framework that it builds on. And all of this is really important for us. Um, because, uh, as we already announced, and this also ties to what Antonio said, our plan is to allow teams like, uh, DYDX and of course anyone who wants to permissionlessly write their own contracts, um, and then deploy them on an L2 to reach arbitrary scale. Um, we call this Starknet and it will be launched uh, later this year. And basically it will be an L2 on which you can deploy your logic. Um, so. Um, each further iteration where we work with uh, teams, especially such a professional team as DYDX, uh, you know, we sort of uh, hone and make the tooling much better uh, so that when we release it uh, to uh, to the public, it's going to be much more ripe. I just want to mention that when I say releasing it to the public, it's not something that is in the future. It's ra- actually something that happened in the past. So um, and everyone's invited to go to Cairo Lang. Uh, .org, cairo-lang.org, and basically download uh, Cairo, start programming, and send proofs right now to a service uh, that is on Ropsten. It's called Sharp, basically shared proving. So you can have several different applications sending their proofs all to be combined into one single uh, proof that goes on-chain and is verified for all of them. And then you can amortize gas costs a little bit better. So Cairo and the same programming tools that we used in order to uh, build uh, the system, our part of the system with DYDX, these tools are already available for everyone to use uh, with a lot of tutorials. And uh, so we're very excited about that. And uh, much more is going to come down there. And so just so I'm understanding this idea of a StarkNet, it's almost like a new kind of Ethereum in the sense that you know, it has its own programming language, it's Turing complete. And so now people can use that programming language to create DeFi programs that uh, use ZK rollups and so are inherently kind of like scaled from the get go. And and maybe even then uh, also have that feature of composability that layer one DeFi protocols have on Ethereum. Is that correct? Yes, Laura, it's exactly that. We uh, think of it as uh, uh, just like Ethereum and being Turing complete. It uh, does not have the gas limit of Ethereum. That's the whole point. It's an L2. In terms of security, it gets its security. Uh, its security is as safe as that of uh, L1 Ethereum um, and is going to rely in a lot of aspects on, on L1 for various uh, 
aspects of sequencing, allowing users to, uh, you know, send commands to this L2 to extract their funds if they need. And you will have composability. You can have uh, permissionless. I mean, you will have permissionless deployment of smart contracts. There will be transactions. Uh, again, permissionless. Any user can submit it. You'll have decentralized operators, provers. Uh, and uh, yes, that's that's our vision. Yes. Wow, that sounds really fascinating because um, so my next set of questions is uh, about DYDX and perpetuals and kind of diving more into that. But why don't we just jump to one of them right now? Because I was going to ask um, Antonio about the fact that obviously these DeFi protocols do benefit from composability on layer one. I think it's slightly less of an issue for DYDX, but Antonio, can you just tell me how you have been thinking about that and, um, you know, how that factored into your decision to go with uh, Starkware and CK rollups? Yeah, so it definitely is a factor, first of all, um, but I think you touched on it. And I think for us and specifically for derivatives or synthetics, it's actually, in my opinion, much less of an issue than it is for different spot trading uh, protocols. Like, for example, like, let's suppose like Uniswap wanted to migrate to like any given layer two. One of the things they would have to really think about is like, well, okay, are there actual tokens that people want to trade on this layer two? Um, for us, again, we don't need that because we're just using synthetic contracts. And all we need is one, literally one token, like uh, basically just a collateral token to exist on this layer two. And then synthetically, we can create just any given asset um, that users might want to trade. I'd say I also have kind of a counterculture view on this, and especially as it comes to DeFi, but really our MO at, at DYDX is to take a very full stack approach to building our products. Um, so we, you know, we like to think that we do everything, like everything down to building the smart contracts, to building like the backend servers that run the order books and the matching engine, uh, to building the front end, to eventually like building the apps that we're going to come out with. Um, and, and, and honestly, like we just think that we can build it like better than like other third party teams would be able to for the most part. Um, whereas a lot of other DeFi is, you know, has this ethos of composability and like De this product is cool because it's like built on top of like zero X API, which is like built on top of Uniswap and Curve and like all this stuff. And that's awesome. Um, but that's just like for us specifically, like not exactly the, the target that we're going for. We really just want, we have like a singular mission, which is just making the best product um, for advanced traders on cryptocurrency. And we really think that we can offer that um, in a really high quality way without too, too much composability, um, just through perpetuals on layer two, even right now. And, and that's not to say that like there will never be composability for DYDX, like especially with a lot of the stuff like Ellie was talking about with kind of moving just other contracts uh, to the same, basically like Stark roll-up chain. I think that's really awesome and will certainly unlock some things for us. But uh, just the, when you think about the trade-off of like, okay, like, you, you know, a thousand X or whatever scalability versus like, you know, some composability, it's like, you know, <laughs> I will take a thousand X or like, you know, a thousand X plus scalability right now over that any day. All right. In a moment, we're going to talk more about the Perpetuals products. But first, a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. With over 10 million users, Crypto.com is the easiest place to buy and sell over 90 cryptocurrencies. Download the Crypto.com app now and get $25 with the code LAURA. If you're a hodler, Crypto.com Earn pays industry-leading interest rates on over 30 coins, including Bitcoin, at up to 8.5% interest and up to 14% interest on your stablecoins. When it's time to spend your crypto, nothing beats the Crypto.com Visa card, which pays you up to 8% back instantly. 
and gives you 100% rebate for your Netflix, Spotify, and Amazon Prime subscriptions. There is no annual or monthly fees to worry about. Download the Critbo.com app and get $25 when using the code LAURA, L-A-U-R-A. The link is in the description. There's a lot to think about when building a commerce web application. Integrating with Square's APIs to take payments, however, is a no-brainer. Trusted by millions of sellers worldwide, Square's APIs are now available to developers, making enterprise-grade payments accessible to everyone. They also have your back. Use their APIs and you'll get dedicated developer support, dispute management, and fraud detection. Start building your online payment form today. Visit square.com slash go slash unchained. Back to my conversation with Antonio and Ellie. As you've noted, perpetuals are some of the most popular trading products in crypto, at least on centralized platforms. And I wondered what benefit do users get from trading perpetuals on a decentralized exchange? Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's pretty similar um, to the benefits users would get from using any decentralized product. Um, so the first is just security. It's a lot more secure to, to hold your own keys. I'm certainly not the first one to say this, um, but trading directly on a smart contract through your hardware wallet uh, is just a lot more secure than trusting your keys to a centralized exchange. And I actually have a lot of experience with this. Uh, I used to work at Coinbase as an engineer, um, and I was an engineer. One of the things I worked on there was their hot wallet service. Um, So I'm really familiar with kind of the security level of centralized exchanges. And one of the cool things is that even if you do a good job um, on security as a centralized exchange, there's just so much overhead that goes into securing like that level of funds because now there's like a $90 billion incentive or whatever to hack Coinbase. And you have to, as Coinbase, just spend resources proportional to that to secure your platform, even if you're doing it in the best way. So like I say that to mean, like for us as a decentralized exchange, we can move a lot faster, can offer like a lot more products um, after we just like focus on securing the smart contracts. Um, I'd say the second is transparency. Um, so especially for more advanced financial products uh, like synthetics and derivatives, you're not only trusting your coins to the exchange, you're also trusting the entire execution of the contracts that you're ent- entering into to set exchange and are counting on that exchange to you know, honor the contract exactly uh, as it was written up. So for things like you know, BitMEX and FTX, and not to pick on anyone, I mean, this is just like the way like, technology works before blockchain. Um, it's just like really a black box, like how a lot of this stuff works on the centralized exchanges. Like you know, when were people getting liquidated? What were the index prices that caused these like liquidations to happen? How much money is in the insurance fund? Like all these different things. When is the insurance fund used? Um, th- those are all kind of factor into it. And on DYDX, of course, because all the contracts are open source and transparent, anybody can just go and audit or can look at our audit reports and just ex- understand exactly the contract that they're entering into. And then I'd say kind of the last thing, and this is something we're going to be focusing on just more going into the future, um, is access. Um, so we're not quite there yet um, in terms of DYDX right now is what's known as a hybrid exchange. So that basically means we have some decentralized components, and then we also have some centralized components. So the central components are kind of our order book and our matching engine, um, which basically we have running on our servers to just offer a much more performance level of trading to our traders. One of the things we're going to be focusing on going into the future is just decentralizing more parts of the stack. And that'll allow us to just offer DYDX to more people in more places of the world. Um, Because again, once we get closer to this vision that all of EFI has, where it's just open source code running on a permissionless blockchain, uh, anybody, you know, basically anybody anywhere in the world will have access to that code. Yeah. And I was something that interested me was when I was looking 
uh, kind of the descriptions of DYDX, it sort of almost seemed to me like DYDX was aiming to be almost like a Uniswap of perpetuals, maybe offering more like a long tail of a variety of perpetuals. But then as I read more, um, I realized, oh, well, since you're kind of using this closed order book based um, dev, which then competes against these other derivatives exchanges that operate more like automated market makers um, that are like Uniswap, I was like, hmm, so maybe I'm wrong because maybe those are the ones that are going to um, fill that spot. So kind of what vision do you have of DYDX? Yeah, it's a great question. I think the order book versus automated market maker question um, is, is certainly not uh, just a consideration for DYDX. I think anybody operating a DEX is thinking about that right now. Uh, my opinion on this, and this isn't a super original thought, um, is kind of somewhere in the middle, um, where I think that order book based models are vastly superior for trading kind of the top, call it like 100 or 200 markets by volume. Uh, we've seen various centralized exchanges be extremely successful um, working directly with market makers. And, you know, FTX is a prime example of this. It probably has the exchange that has kind of the most different pairs. Um, and you're able to just offer like a really high amount of liquidity on those top markets. Uh, I think automated market makers certainly do serve a purpose. Um, but in my opinion, uh, I think they're better for just trading like the long tail of assets. And in my opinion, like that was the the product market fit that Uniswap found, which I think is awesome. Um, just people coming and trading like all these various tokens before they were listed on centralized exchanges or kind of that weren't even listed ever on centralized exchanges, but they were listed on Uniswap like the moment that they launched. And that's a really powerful thing. But for again, for us specifically at DYDX, like our goal is to become one of the biggest crypto exchanges, period, um, but on a three to five year time horizon. And we think kind of the combination of, you know, what I talked about at the beginning with derivatives becoming already being the biggest market. And then just we think will become even more of a percent of the market. Um, and then obviously decentralized exchanges as well, which are currently like, I don't know, 5% or so of the market, um, but are super new and we think will grow over the next three to five years. Um, so if we're able to win that market of like derivatives plus DeFi, um, we think that'll be really big. But I'll conclude by just saying, like, I think specifically for derivatives, where we see the real volume is not in the like 200 plus like markets by volume is really in those top like 100 markets. And honestly, really just in the top like five or so, like the Bitcoin perpetuals to a lesser extent, like the ETH perpetuals that are traded on centralized exchanges, like literally just Bitcoin perpetuals, I think almost do more volume than literally everything else in crypto combined. <laughs> um, so it's like it's a real power law thing. And it's like, if you want to be the biggest exchange, you have to be, uh, you have to serve like the, this biggest market that's 10x bigger than all the other markets in the highest, po uh, highest possible quality way. And we think that's by order books, just because order books are able to provide just a much higher level of liquidity, given a certain amount of capital for the markets that they operate on. And also because you're using perpetuals, which, as you mentioned, are a type of synthetic the Oracle that you're using becomes ultra important because that then becomes probably a main attack vector. So how did you decide upon Chainlink as your Oracle provider? Yeah, absolutely. So I think Chainlink, almost the name sort of speaks for itself in DeFi at this point. Just most of the uh, like leading products are, are building on Chainlink, or at least things that use technology that's like similar to Chainlink. Like DYDX also actually operates on MakerDAO Oracles. Um, which are, you know, not exactly the same, but kind of use similar technology to Chainlink. Um, but we're really excited about partnering with Chainlink. And, and one of the really important things that we had to design with this layer two, um, which was an open question, and, and we designed this alongside Starkware, 
was how do we solve this Oracle problem? Um, like, do we want to like, there's no Oracles right now on layer two, basically, because nobody's on layer two, right? Um, so like, how do we get these Oracle prices on layer two? And we thought about a lot of different things, like potentially like building our own Oracles that are specifically specific for L2. And we potentially could, but we would have had to have sacrificed on security there. Um, so the thing that we ended up on was just working directly with kind of the three of us, like us, uh, Starkware and Chainlink themselves actually did a good amount of work for this, um, was basically just putting the exact same Oracle prices that they're already reporting on layer one, but putting them on layer two. Um, and this is a really powerful thing because now we get the exact same level of security um, that everybody else in DeFi is used to with kind of the, the leading Chainlink Oracles, but we get it on layer two instead. And it's actually even better than that um, because what the, the whole point of layer two, again, is that it's just much more scalable and much faster. So one of the really big problems we ran into on layer one with any Oracle provider, this is not at all like limited to just Chainlink, but the problem we, we faced was there was a lot of lag or like a lot of latency in the Oracle prices, especially when prices were moving fast, which is the worst time to have lag in your price circles. Like every time, this is a bit of a generalization, but, but more or less like every time like the price would drop by like 10%, it would take, you know, five to 10 to sometimes 15 minutes for that to be reflected um, on the layer one oracles. And this is a real problem if you're operating a leveraged exchange because your contracts don't know that they should liquidate people. Um, and if the price keeps dropping, uh, the entire protocol could become under collateralized. And this was the main thing that was holding us back from offering higher leverage. So on our layer one product for our perpetuals, we were only able to offer a 10x maximum leverage. And it was exactly due to this problem of like the oracles are laggy, basically. Hmm. Um, but now on layer two, we can take the same security, like I said, but we can reduce the latency, can reduce the lag by a factor of like 10 to 20x roughly. Um, so now instead of having to wait minutes for these oracle prices to be reflected on our system, we can do it in seconds. Um, and that's kind of what centralized exchanges can do as well. Because um, again, they're not even using a chain. Um, but for us, we can offer like a similar level of leverage starting out at 25x, potentially could raise that higher, just you know, starting out a little bit more conservative. Um, but even just this fact of now the Oracle prices are much more performance allows us to offer a new feature on our product that's really important um, in higher leverage. Um, higher leverage is actually super important for operating a, a leveraged crypto exchange, as you might expect. Um, Binance recently released some um, statistics on uh, their users' uh, usage of leverage and what kind of like multiple of leverage like all of their users use. And I believe the most popular leverage was around 20x. I can't remember the exact statistics, but it was something like 30% or so used 20x. Um, it was like some small percent, like five to 10% used their like crazy like 100x leverage. Um, but if you're able to offer this kind of like 25x like maximum leverage, that's just a huge step up in terms of like the quality of our product. Yeah, yeah, I could see um, that appealing to people um, in the crypto space. And so um, let's also dive a little bit more into um, some of the Starkware things um, like Cairo in particular. I wanted to ask a little bit more about because Ellie, I saw in some of the blog posts who was being described as one verifier to rule them all. Can you explain what that means? Yeah, so uh, that's a terrific question. Uh, typically, what happens is, um, and this uh, this is something I spoke about earlier, you have a computation in mind, and you want to use a ZKP to, to scale it. So this computation, you have to somehow express it and convert it to some algebraic format that is very hard to deal with uh, secure, securely and efficiently. 
uh, a bunch of polynomials or, you know, I can throw a whole bunch of math terms here at you that, that basically say the same thing. Some complicated algebraic problem sometimes has some number theory in it and, and it's very complicated. So whatever means you did for that, you, you, you would have to work very hard and really there was a limited amount of complexity that you could deal with. And then you ended up with some system that is very specific for, um, for the problem at hand. So for instance, in Zcash, so I'm, I'm, I'm a founding scientist of Zcash. So there, there's a very specific circuit that deals with, uh, you know, shielded payments and it's crafted towards that. In, at Stark, we're in our initial uh, version one of uh, Diversify was a specific set of, uh, you know, the analog of a circuit, a specific set of polynomial constraints that had to deal with that. So it's a little bit like building an ASIC or some chip that, that is, you know, one per computation. Now, with Cairo, basically we have a, uh, a set of constraints or, you know, a set of uh, this math object that is the ZKP analog of a CPU. So a CPU is one chip that can deal with uh, any computation, right? You send the computation as a program, as data, and it is executed. That's precisely what happens with Cairo. In fact, the name Cairo, the C comes from CPU, and the next three letters are air, which come from the algebra. So it's like a CPU uh, algebraic object. And you put it once out there, um, and now you can basically express all computations that you want and have one verifier um, that you don't have to modify and change that deals with all of them. And again, the analogy you should have in mind here is, is that of a CPU. So you bought a laptop, there's one CPU there till you replace it, you know, in two years time with a faster CPU, which likely will also happen at some point with Cairo, you're going to run all of your computations, all of your programs on using that one CPU without replacing it. So that's the same idea with Cairo. It wouldn't work well if the way you had to express computations to the CPU was very hard, but it's not. So there's a programming language called Cairo that is very developer-friendly. It looks like a programming language. And now you can write all your computations in this language, and they get automatically compiled, and proofs for them are generated for the correct execution and put on chain through this one uh, verifier to rule them all. Yeah, it's really impressive. And you also earlier mentioned the great Reddit scaling bake-off. And that was when Reddit and yes. the Ethereum Foundation invited some of the, or not some, but just any Ethereum scaling projects to show how their project could be used to scale um, Reddit's community points, which now I think is used by just hundreds of thousands of users, but later they want to roll it out to all right. 430 million Reddit users so explain a little bit more about your participation in that and how it worked. And um, I mean, you talked a little bit about what you were able to achieve, but just describe the experience. Yeah, so they gave a challenge that they in which they said, well, we have this uh, point system. So think of these as some tokens that currently are, uh, you know, administered over the Reddit servers, but they would really like to put them on, on, uh, on mainnet. And actually, the way I think it started, at least from our point of view, is that we, we took uh, one of the more popular uh, Reddit uh, uh, subreddits, and we basically took all of their transactions. I think it was like something like 12 million accounts, if I'm not mistaken, or something like that, or 1.2 million accounts. I forgot, and we just put one proof for you know for a whole bunch of stuff. I think this uh, impressed uh, 
Reddit. I'm, I'm speculating that maybe some other, uh, you know, L2 solution said, oh, you know, it's not a fair fight. Why don't you do a challenge or something like that? Anyways, they said, okay, we have this grand challenge. Uh, you're supposed to take, uh, to show how you can um, deal with 300,000 transactions, which is a huge amount. And show us how your scaling solution is going to, you know, deal with them had, had they been given to you as part of the system. Um, and, and you want to sort of have these transactions be spread out over a period of, of five days because 300 transactions, you know, that's a big amount of transactions. Let's see. Okay. So, and there was five, the, the time for this, uh, bake off was given five weeks. So we did it in four weeks. And instead of spreading the transactions on, on five days, we put it inside, uh, 10 blocks and these 10 blocks, basically nine of them, the proof was one block or could fit in one block, but there was all this data. They didn't ask for it to, to be in roll-up mode, but we, we said, you know, what the hell? Let's do it also in roll-up mode. So we put all of the data on chain and then it took us 10 blocks. So instead of five days, um, we put it on mainnet, um, in one proof, um, you know, 10 blocks. Most of it is just data, not the proof itself. So, you know, I think the Twitterati agreed that we sort of, uh, hit the ball way out of the park. You know, I would love to have Reddit pick up the phone and say, Hey guys, you know, you nailed it. Uh, let's work. But, um, I don't know. I don't know what they're doing there at Reddit with respect to this thing. Uh, you know, they haven't announced anything since then. So, okay. So we, we, we got some uh, pretty nice PR um, and um, we moved on. Uh, I guess we'll have to see what, where, where that goes, what happens with that. Um, so yeah. as we all know, there has been a lot of talk in not only crypto, but also in the traditional financial world about GameStop and Robinhood and scaling of these centralized solutions. I mean, e or not solutions, but exchanges. And even um, if we just think about like a Coinbase, how they've had so many outages and, and, you know, I mean, when you, when you look at how, when markets act the way that they did in the GameStop period, which I think we all know is pretty much how crypto acts like pretty much all the time. Um, and we see that that caused problems for Robinhood. We know it does cause problems for Coinbase. I was wondering what you, what your thoughts were on how DeFi is positioned to address these issues. I'll try to answer this. I mean, there are two aspects to it. There is one, uh, you know, the sort of a technical scale, can you deal with it? And, and, um, you know, in the conventional market, it's not the scale of, uh, right. The, the trading systems that, that, that is the problem, right. That, that sort of, they can deal with that. Um, in the crypto world, this used to be the problem. Um, I think with technologies like ours, uh, this is no longer the problem. I mean, we can, we can reach the scale of, uh, you know, NASDAQ or, uh, Visa or, uh, you know, if need be even, uh, Alipay or WeChat. This is neat. so. So this doesn't have to be the problem. The other issue is that of the, um, you know, the sort of T plus two that everyone's talking about, right? That um, uh, the way the markets work is that the finality, you know, you're given some time for finality, and and in that respect, crypto is way better because um, be it on L one or L two with the instant finality, like uh, DYDX Perpetual is, it has um, basically. 
as fast as the market, uh, sorry, not, not as the market, there's as fast as the blockchain progresses or the L2 progresses, that's basically the state of affairs. And again, you also these uh, issues, and, and then there's the third aspect of like centralization and censorship, you know, there were various rumors that, that I have no idea about, about, you know, various parties not uh, being happy with certain transactions, so sort of stepping in. And of course, the decentralization of blockchains is what prevents this. So blockchains have instant finality. They are censorship resistant. Had such a thing such as GameStop been played on crypto, uh, the main problem would have been uh, scaling. You know, the, can you deal with such an amount of transactions? But uh, with uh, our technology, that is solved as well. Yeah. So, you know, NASDAQ, if you're listening to this episode, you know, <laughs> please pick up the phone. We'll be happy to serve you. So I don't, I don't know what the number of transactions per second were when the GameStop mania was happening, but are you saying that it was an amount that something like Starkware, okay, that ZK rollups could handle? Do, do you know yes, what the number is? Yes, we can of- handle, we can handle, uh, um, we can handle, I mean, you know, we'll have to put a lot of, ing- like, okay, the technology can handle uh, any reasonable TPS that is uh, currently, you know, in any financial system in the world. Okay. Um, you said it was 3,000 transactions per second. Was that the number? You- well, we, we displayed on mainnet something that is at 3,000 TPS. This is something we displayed. But if we, you know, if we had to service um, Alipay with uh, its 250,000 transactions per second, um, there's nothing in the technology that couldn't put that on L1. Of course, you'd need, you know, we'd need to have a lot of engineers to sort of, uh, move to bigger machines and whatnot, but, uh, there's nothing that prevents it. And, uh, if we needed to deal, let's say with a visa payload, which is in the 2000 to 25,000, uh, TPS, uh, we could uh, deal with that, uh, pretty much today. Mm-hmm. And Antonio, did you want to add any thoughts on game, the GameStop issue, Robinhood? Yeah, I mean, I think Ali gave a really good summary on that. Um, the only other thing I would add is what I touched on before in terms of transparency. Um, and I think that was a really big factor that went into just a lot of the chaos around GameStop as well. Like, I don't know exactly what the facts were, but I think one of the issues was that there was more than 100% short interest on GameStop. And that just made it like once those hedge funds had to actually cover um, because the price was going up so much, they literally couldn't buy like the shares that they needed to cover because it was more than the entire float of GameStop. Um, Whereas something like that in crypto would have been, you know, people would have seen that coming um, and people would have been able to see like, okay, well, we know like all of the the short positions on DeFi, like total this much. We know that like float is this much. Um, So they would would, have just been able to have like much, a lot more transparency around the market, which I think is important as well. Yeah, or the systems even could have been designed where it would not be possible to short more than existed. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so something else I wanted to ask about is there's been a trend in DeFi that differentiates between these like fair launch projects and then VC projects. And both of you have gotten investment from big name VC firms like DYDX has investment from Andreessen Horowitz, Polychain, Polychain Capital, One Confirmation, Three Arrows Capital, Defiance Capital. Um, Starkware has investment from Paradigm, Sequoia, Coinbase Ventures, Scalar, Multicoin Capital. And so I know neither of your projects have launched tokens yet, but I just wanted to hear your take on this debate between fair launch tokens versus VC tokens. 
Yeah, it's an interesting, interesting question. I definitely don't think that there's one that's objectively better um, in terms of like the path for any given system. I really think it has to do a lot with the complexity of the systems that you're building. For example, like let's take us or I mean, actually Starcore is a great example of this too. Like the things that we're building are just very technologically complex. And sure, you could come out of the gates and be like, hey, I'm DYDX. I have this dream to like someday hopefully build a protocol for perpetuals. And this is like theoretically how I'm going to do it. Like give me your money for a token. Um, but I don't really think that that's like an optimal way to go about fundraising or an optimal way to go about company building more generally. Um, people always ask us constantly, I hear you, like, why have we not done a token yet? Like, it's, it's pretty obvious, um, that you should do one. Um, and I agree. And trust me, all the things going on, the, on in the market are not lost on me. But the thing that I always tell people and the thing that I really believe is, uh, we're not doing a token because we're like, you know, fundamentally opposed to them or, or something like that. Um, we're do- not doing a token right now because we believe that it's more important uh, for us to build a really great product first. And then like once we have a really great product and we have strong product market fit, we have a lot of great users, uh, when you can throw just fuel on the fire on top of that with a token, then it's like you get to be, you know, you don't just get to be, but like you have an opportunity to be like, you know, hit our goal of like potentially becoming like one of the biggest exchanges in crypto period. So for us, like that's always been the goal has been really big to become one of the the biggest exchanges. And we really feel like this is the best like expected value, like way for us to do it long term to go through. And, And we've been around for like three and a half years now, which in crypto is like literally forever. Um, just like go through and take these like three and a half, four years, like building an amazing product. Um, I think we had kind of started to hit our stride on layer one, but then we just ran into like all of this nonsense with having to pay like hundreds of dollars in transaction fees. And there are a bunch of like other product limitations that we had on layer one, like finality was pretty long, like a block time, things like that, that are now solved on our new product. And we're really excited about our new product. I mean, uh, you know, Ellie touched on this before, but we've literally had 50,000 people like sign up for our wait list on our alpha. Um, and it's getting to be more like every day. So I think a lot of other people are excited about that as well. And again, that's like with no token or anything like that. So it's just organic interest in our actual product. Um, and then like once we have like strong product market fit, um, then if we, you know, later and, and no guarantees or anything like that, but later if we go out and like launch a token, um, that's how we think we we become really really big and, and we feel like the the amount of the company and therefore the like hypothetical tokens or whatever that we like sold to investors to do that is well worth it um, because now we have just like four years of development experience behind us and, and a lot of expertise to continue to build great, great products. Yeah, and I meant to mention earlier that I did an interview with Antonio. Actually, I don't know what year that was. Do you know what year was that? 20... I think it was a long time ago. It was either like 2017. I think it was 2018. Okay. So it was okay. like right after the ICO hype. So yeah. Probably talked about the same thing then. Yeah. So, um, you know, clearly the project has evolved since then. It's it just, yeah, it was quite different. Um, and so people should listen to that just to hear more about Antonio's history. Um, but from what you were describing, so it sounds like you probably will launch a token. And so would we expect it would be a governance token and maybe you would, you know, add a little liquidity mining scheme on top of it? Yeah, I'm not going to talk too much about (laughs) it in particular, but like it's not rocket science, probably like we're taking a look at all the things that have been successful, like in the DeFi space. And yeah, those things that have been successful, I would say, are governance and liquidity mining. Um, So if we want to fulfill our goals of being able to grow in the maximum possible way, um, 
you can use your own intuition about what we might do with with such a token. But again, it's like it's not 100% that we're going to be doing this. Um, like even like in this like bull run or whatever, like no matter like how long that lasts, like we're not going to launch one until we're like really happy with the current state of the product. And we really think like honestly believe that once we throw fuel on that fire that we'll be able to grow um, and just appreciate like everyone's patience until then. And of course it is like in our long-term plans, like I was talking about earlier in the episode to decentralize more of UIDX um, and to not just have say, for example, like our contracts be controlled by like some multi-signature contract forever. Um, and, and clearly that that goes hand in hand with governance too. And Ellie, so you also talked about how Starkware will be decentralizing. And do you plan to do that with a token? Yeah, so, so uh, I'll get to that in a minute. I won't comment much on it. I, I just want to add to what uh, so, so Antonio, to, to what Antonio said about uh, um, you know the fair launch versus uh, VC. Um, we incorporated uh, three years ago at the height of the ICO craze, and everyone was saying, "Oh, you know, you must uh, you must do an ICO." That was the previous version of it. Um, another aspect, so, so, and we didn't. And another, even though you know, uh, Filecoin was raising a quarter billion in Tezos and so on. Um, those were the happy days uh, then. Uh, what we said uh, to ourselves and also to other projects we were talking to who did do tokens was that uh, you're basically going public, you know, from day one. And there's this price ticker, right, that everyone sees, you know, your employees, the outside world, and you haven't really done anything yet. So it's a very, it could be a very demoralizing experience. And it's a, you know, it's a, and you're in these, there are these market fluctuations. So that's another aspect of just, you know, managing expectations of your employees and everyone and, and the public as you're sort of building something and we wanted to build something very quietly and to get, you know, top engineers and mathematicians just to work very patiently on this. So, so that was the obvious route for us, but others have uh, gone the other way now regarding, um, you know, decentralized Starknet and tokens. So, so I won't comment on, on tokenomics. I will say this, that, uh, um, it's clear to us that, uh, an L2 that is decentralized will need to have proper, crypto economic incentives for the various players that are out there. Uh, you know, we're going to have uh, decentralized proving services um, that are operated by numerous players. Uh, you need to have coordination among them. There are going to be uh, sequencers of transactions. You need to take care of payments to the L1, amortize the gas cost, and so on and so forth. All of this uh, uh, begs for, uh, you know, game theoretic uh, mechanism design and crypto economic uh, mechanisms. But those are yet to be determined. Uh, and just like we waited patiently with any sort of tokenomics uh, till now, we'll, you know, we, we really need to understand how Starknet is going to be uh, governed and administered uh, before we can make decisions on, on the right mechanisms. All right. So neither of you want to comment too much on any tokens, but um, are there any other developments coming up this year that either of you want to mention? Yeah, maybe I can start. I mean, I think the, the main thing that we've just, I mean, I guess it's even hard for me to like, even for the next year, we've just been so heads down, like focused on building out this new layer two product with Starkware. And the other thing I think I didn't mention, but uh, is, is worth talking about too, is it's not just that we took our layer one product and put it on layer two. We literally built an entirely new product, like new servers, new UI, new everything. 
Um, so we've been working really long, hard uh, alongside the protocol work that Starkware has been doing then. And, and I've kind of been in the thick of that as well in terms of coding and stuff. Um, so yeah, certainly we're, we're about to have the public launch in uh, about a, a few weeks from now. So that'll be really exciting. Far, further on down the line, I think uh, the main thing we're going to be focusing on for the rest of this year is just further decentralization of the protocol. Um, so starting with kind of decentralization of like the governance of our contracts and things like that. Um, and then starting to think like, how can we decentralize like the order book and the matching engine components that we still run in a centralized way right now? No timelines or anything like that for any of that, but that's what we'll be focused on for the rest of the year. And I'm, I'm excited about that. Like it's really hard problems, but that's how we're really going to realize the, the long-term vision of what we're building. So on our side, first of all, I'm very excited and, and, and anxious about, uh, you know, the uh, public launch of, uh, uh, DYDX, which is going to be the first, uh, you know, major public event, uh, the closest public event on our horizon at Starkware. Uh, we're really, really, uh, excited for this. Uh, shortly after that, uh, Immutable X uh, is going to be launching. This is for NFT and massive, uh, off-chain minting of, uh, NFTs, which is a big, big problem that, uh, you know, no other solution can, can deliver right now. And Immutable X is going to do that. Um, that's going to come very soon over the next few weeks. Looking a few months ahead, uh, we're going to be launching uh, with Badger DAO uh, an AMM on L2. And uh, that's uh, another exciting thing. And a little bit further, I mean, those are the projects that we can sort of announce uh, right now. There are other things, of course, uh, being worked out, and we hope to announce them really soon. Another exciting thing is basically the, the launch of uh, phases one and two of uh, StarkNet called uh, Planets and Constellations. That's going to be in a very small number of months. And these will uh, allow you know developers at large to just uh, write smart contracts and deploy them and, and uh, benefit from the same scale that uh, DYDX is going to have uh, in the next, uh, you know, when it goes public. Um, and I want to mention in this respect, and this also ties to questions, you know, we were asked a lot, uh, you know, how do we, uh, how, how can we participate in this thing that is, uh, you know, Starkware's journey and, and Starknet and things like that. And people ask about, you know, tokenomics and whatnot. And there's, uh, only one very simple answer that, that, uh, that, that I and we at Starkware always give them, which is, uh, uh, go learn Cairo because this will be just like if you asked about, you know, early day Ethereum, what was the best thing you could invest your time in would probably be to learn Solidity or whatever precursor was to there. So right now, this, this uh, language on which all of StarkNet is going to be built with all its scale is Cairo and it's already accessible. And you go to Cairo-lang.org. And uh, basically start learning. There's a bunch of tutorials there. There are tutorials for running your own AMM. So you can build today your own AMM on layer two with much lower gas fees. There are voting and signature aggregation tutorials that you can do there. And again, you can start building your own products and have them integrated into Startnet. So, so this is, I think this is th this potential of having a developer ecosystem that, that, uh, learns Cairo, writes in it, and then you have this uh, massive uh, uh, amount of dApps on StarkNet. This is uh, very uh, exhilarating to us. Yeah, it definitely sounds interesting to me because, yeah, you know, we see all these Ethereum killers trying to come and take developers' 
to these other blockchains and attracting them with, um, you know, DeFi capabilities on their platforms. And um, yeah, I could see the appeal to a developer who wants to stick with Ethereum. Um, all right. So we will have to keep an eye on that because that does sound interesting. Um, so thank you both so much for coming on Unchained. Where can people learn more about each of you and your work? Yeah, for us, uh, our, the best place to start is just going to our website at dydx.exchange. Um, there you can sign up for our private alpha, which will be live really soon. Uh, you can join our Discord. Uh, if you want to ask me anything, just literally tag me in our Discord and I'll probably answer. Um, so just head over on uh, to dydx.exchange um, and check everything out there. On, on our side, first of all, follow us on Twitter, StarkwareLTD. Um, you know, you can check out our website, uh, starkware.co, not com, co. And, and finally, if you're a developer and you want to start building in Cairo, you go to Cairo-lang, as in language, dot uh, O-R-G. Great. And I meant to mention earlier that Immutable has been a previous sponsor of my show. Um, but that also, uh, you know, when you mentioned that, I... I hadn't been aware of the difficulties of um, minting NFTs, like in terms of gas costs. I only, that's something I only found out about recently. So I will also be watching that. I think that sounds very interesting. All right. Well, thank you both so much for coming on Unchained. This, is, this has been super fun. Thank you, Laura. Yeah. Thanks so much for having us. Thanks so much for joining us today. To learn more about Antonio, Ellie, DYDX, and Starkware, check out the show notes for this episode. Don't forget, you can now watch video recordings of the shows on the Unchained YouTube channel. Go to youtube.com slash C slash Unchained Podcast and subscribe today. Unchained is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Anthony Yoon, Daniel Ness, Mark Murdoch, Dan Edelbeck, and the team at CLK Transcription. Thanks for listening.